Take your Bibles and turn with me tonight, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. The very first verse in the Bible. Because that is where we come to tonight as we look at the Apostles' Creed. We have looked at, I guess this will be our fifth message now, uh, on this particular series, taking the Apostles' Creed as our outline for a just quick, a quick overview or basic understanding of basic Christian doctrine. Uh, we've broken this down so far. In the first two weeks, we looked at the first week, the concept of what it means to say, I believe. We talked about this idea. The uh, creed is from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And to say that I have a creed is just to say I believe something. To say I don't have a creed or I don't believe in a creed or I don't believe in creeds is to say, well, I don't believe in anything, which is not true. We all believe in something. We all have a creed. Everybody on this earth has a creed of some sort. It may not be the Apostles' Creed. It may be a creed to self or an ode to self. But in reality, we all have a creed of some sort. So we talked about what it means to say, uh, I believe, have a creed, the importance of creeds and confessions. The second week we looked at, I believe, what it means to believe. It's not just to have a mental assent. It's not just to say the same thing as saying, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. That, uh, you may believe that, but it doesn't have any real impact on your life. To say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, or the maker of heaven and earth, is to say, I believe in something with such an intense faith that it changes my life. It has an effect upon my life. And so we look at that and we understand it. So we talked about what it means to believe. Then we talked about God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And last week we broke that down a bit. We talked about the fatherhood of God for all who believe. And God is a father, genuinely a father to every believer uh, and treats us as adopted children into his family. And that's a tremendous relationship. But he's also almighty. And we looked at that word just a bit last week to see that it's not just a word that is kind of to be thrown around flippantly. That to say that God is almighty is to acknowledge his sovereignty and to acknowledge his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, and everything else that goes with an understanding of who God is. Now tonight we come to that next phrase. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker or creator of heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth. That is, he's not only a father, he's not only sovereign and omnipotent, but he is the maker, he is the creator of everything that there is. That's what the writer of Genesis, that's what Moses is saying in Genesis 1, 1 through whatever you want to go through, through the days of creation. He says there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. 
Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And, and then you can go on through the entire creation of six days where God creates uh, plant life and animal life and sea life. And ultimately, on that sixth day, it comes and it says he created man after his own image. Now, in each one of those days, at the end of every day, God makes a judgment on what he's done. He says at the end of the day, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. And right on through all the creation story, God makes that, that declaration and says even it is very good until he comes to see man dwelling alone. And he looks at it and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And he made Adam, had all the animals pass in front of Adam, and Adam named every one of them, and in naming them, he found that there was not anyone, anything there that was suitable as a mate for him, and so God created Eve out of Adam, and you know the story. Now, probably no other biblical story, maybe aside from Jonah and the fish, has undergone such joking statements, such disbelief, as has the creation story. A lot of people today say, you know, it's all well and good, and I want to believe in Jesus, and I want to believe the gospel is true, but why do we have to have that creation story? Is that not just medieval myth? Is that not just something that was prehistorically kind of thought about and before they understood some matters of science that they came up with this whole creation idea and stuck it in there, wouldn't it be better if we didn't just say, look, we're going to buy the whole realm of, of naturalism and natural selection and evolution and just say, well, you know, that's just the way it happened. Science has shown that to be true and just put the whole creation story aside. A lot of people are doing that today. One of my favorite Old Testament professors, Dr. Bruce Walkey, who I've had great respect for for many, many years uh, and has written some of the finest Old Testament commentaries and, and introductions that you can buy, has just decided to come out a few months ago, about two months ago, uh, with a group out of Washington, D.C. Uh, called Biologos, which is a group that is established primarily to try and, and bring about a, an acceptance of evolution, albeit theistic evolution, that God kind of watched all this happen and let it happen and, and somehow over millions and billions of years uh, kind of governed it in some strange sort of way. Uh, and, and Dr. Walkie has come out and said, well, you know, I believe that we as evangelical Christians must now acknowledge and accept uh, evolution as the way God did things or else will be considered a cult. My question is, so what's new? I mean, you know, the world looks at us who say that we believe that there was a vicarious death on the cross that served in my place and as my substitute and by that death I can be made right with God. And people look at that and say, well, what in the world? What? That sounds so archaic. That sounds so bloody. I mean, let's face it, folks. You go through every point of this creed or any other doctrinal statement you want to look at, and the world looks at it and says, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Oh, y'all must be a cult. 
You see, the problem is we still believe as Christians, and that's why in, the, in this old creed that comes down through a couple of thousand years almost, there's the statement, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. The one who created everything that there is. Because we believe it's not a naturalistic thing. But we believe that we understand how things came about by revelation. Not by our own rational understanding of it. Believe me, I don't understand all this. But by the fact that God has revealed to us how it took place in his revelation, in his holy word. I like what Luther said about this part, this statement of the creed, maker of heaven and earth. He said, what does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. To say that I believe in God, the creator of all things, is to say that I believe that God has created everything that there is. Now, 13 billion years ago, now it used to be only 12 billion years ago, it's expanded a billion, but what's a few billion years among friends? I mean, you know, uh, but 13 billion years ago, thus and such took place in this primeval slime that, that just sort of existed out there. Uh, there was the discussion of, you know, how did all this come about? There are really only two ways to look at it uh, apart from the biblical view. That is, that everything is, is just, that, that nature is all there is and all there has ever been. That's what Carl Sagan said on his uh, series, The Cosmos. He said, the cosmos is all there is and all there has ever been. That is the belief that matter has an eternal factor to it and it's always existed and somewhere along the way something started developing in that matter and something sort of crawled out of that matter and started a billion years or so evolutionary process and all of a sudden voila here we are or that there was nothing at one time and then nothing became something and that something became everything that there is those are really the only two ways to look at it I remember in, in the 1990s when the, the Big Bang Theory became such a, a, a big the, uh, understanding of, among some scientists of how things came to be, I, I still have this article out of the Orlando Sentinel. We were living in Orlando at that time, and I still have this article in my files, and I always find it intriguing. The leading proponent of the Big Bang Theory said, when they asked him, would you explain to us what happened in the Big Bang? And he said, well, absolutely. In the Big Bang, matter and energy collided together and brought forth matter. Now wait, matter and energy collided together and brought forth matter. I mean, this guy had multiple PhDs. He was a whole lot smarter than I am. But even I could see the, the, the contradictory nature of that. There was matter before there was matter in order to collide with the energy to make matter. 
I'm still scratching my head over that one. Scripture's fairly simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It answers two of the major questions that we all have about everything. Who and when. When did God create everything? He created everything in the beginning. Well, we in our inquisitive minds want to know, well, exactly when was that? Was that 7,000 years ago or was that 10,000 years ago or was that 10 billion years ago? The scripture is not real clear on that. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light and he saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Now I realize that some theologians who are much smarter than I am without a doubt, uh, we'll look at that and they say, well, that day could be an eon. That day could be millions and millions and millions of years. And I've looked at that and I've studied that and I'm not a scientist and I don't pretend to be. I don't even play one on TV. But I do know that God presents this in such a way in his holy word that it is presented not as millions and millions of years but as a day. Now, I realize when I say that, or if you say that, uh, and most of us are too embarrassed to say that out in public because it makes us sound so primitive and so backward and so uneducated, I realize, but I really do believe when God says a day, he meant a day. Now, was that exactly 24 hours? I don't know, but I do know one thing. There was a morning and there was an evening, and that was a day. There was darkness, there was light, and that was a day. And so God says, and the scripture says, in the beginning, he created. Now, another passage I want you to look at just briefly is John chapter 1. Moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the gospel of John. I want you to see if there's any similarity here. In, in chapter 1 of John's gospel, it starts out with three very significant words. In the beginning. Now again, I don't know exactly when that beginning is. I, don't, I can't give you a date because they didn't make calendars back then. But it was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it John is talking about a new creation there John is talking about how in the beginning Christ was with God and indeed Christ was God Christ was there involved in the creativeness of all that there was and if, if he hadn't been there and if he wasn't at that point in that time there would not have been anything created that was created he created all that there is. And so you have a Trinitarian involvement here. You've even got the Spirit back in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. And so you have the Trinitarian God at work in creating and bringing about all things that are today. I want you to know, and this is the key thought I want you to leave here tonight with, and I, I don't have time to develop it adequately by any means, but I want you to know and understand that modern theories of evolution have not and cannot disprove creation. 
That's important to realize. Uh, to take and follow a, a Darwinistic or a naturalistic view of evolution and say that's the way it all happened is just as much a faith statement as saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator, maker of heaven and earth. It's just as much a statement of faith to believe one as it is the other. It just depends on what your authority is and where you look at. Uh, you can also look at what Paul said in Acts chapter 17. This is one of my favorite passages out of the book of Acts. And I remember when we preached through Acts the first year and a half we were here, and we looked at that on Sunday nights. We looked at length at Paul's encounter in Athens. You remember he went there, and there were idols everywhere. There were God, uh, idols to every god imaginable. And just so they could be sure they covered all the bases, they, had, they built an idol to a, an unknown god, you know, because they didn't want to leave anybody out. So this was the unknown god that they worshipped. And so Paul said to them, starting verse 22, <coughs> so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and aiming, uh, examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I, this I proclaim to you. Now listen to this. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. That ties in with the passage from Hebrews that we looked at this morning. Does not dwell in temples or tabernacles made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointment and times and boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of one of us. For in, now listen to this. For in him, in God, in him, we live and move and exist. Literally that word exist there is have our being. In him we have our being. It is because of him and his creative act and his sustaining act and his provisional act in our lives and in this world that we have life and, and movement and being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we also are his children. And, and the idea there of children is the idea of his creation. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that divine natures like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and the thought of men. Paul said to the people at, at Athens as they struggled with this whole concept of what he was preaching, he said, I want to tell you about the God who made everything, who created everything, who's Lord of heaven and earth, and in whom we live and move and exist. That's uh, what Luther said. I believe God has made me and all creatures. I believe that he's caring for me and watching over me in his statement on this part of the creed. There's another passage I want you to look at over in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 
18. I'm going to read a couple of lengthy passages out of Isaiah, but I want you to hear this. We could also go to Job, but we won't take time to do that tonight. <clears throat> I may have to continue this next week. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He, he seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless." Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then shall you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their, their host by number, who calls them all by name, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? He understand, his understanding is inscrutable. His strength, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain a new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. <coughs> Isaiah, speaking the prophecy of God there, says, Don't you know that our God has created everything and has not lost anything? He, he prepared it, he created it, and he sustains it with his mighty power. Or look over just a few pages to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45, beginning in verse 9. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker or his creator. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth? Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, what are you giving, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker. Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. 
I have aroused him in righteousness. I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city, and I will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sebans, men of statute, will come over to you and will be yours. They will walk behind you and they will come over in chains and will bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Surely God is with you and there is none else. No other God. Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by the Lord. With an everlasting salvation, you will not be put to shame or humiliation to all of eternity. And he goes on to the rest of that chapter and just talks about God, the one who is creator, God, the one who brings all about, God, the one who sustains everything that he makes. Or think about Psalm 19, one of the most beautiful statements in all the scripture, just in, in a very few verses there. Uh, and we, not even the whole thing, but he talks about God's general revelation and God's specific revelation. And he says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line is going out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them... He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from, the, from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. It says the, the, the heavens, the creation, is declaring the glory of the Lord, the glory of God. Scripture makes it very clear that God is the maker and the creator of all that there is. There is, no, there is no equivocation on it. There is no backing away from it. There is a declaration that this one who is also our redeemer in Christ Jesus is also our creator. Now, now I believe there, there are three lessons we can learn out of this, and we'll learn them in five minutes. We'll learn them quickly, uh, or at least... You'll hear them quickly, and then we'll be done. Three things that I think the doctrine of creation protects us against. First of all, it protects us against a misunderstanding of who God is. It protects us from misunderstanding God. The one thing we have to understand is that in the beginning, God made us in his image. But our problem today is we tend to think of God in our image. Now think about that, because that's very significant. God created us in his image, but we tend to think of him in ours. As Voltaire, the, the, the heretic, said, man made God in his own image. That was a crack, and that was a, a slam by Voltaire. But sadly, in our day and time, it's rather too true that we do tend to fashion a God in our own image. And when we do that, we make an idol. We make a false God. 
J.I. Packer says the creator-creature distinction reminds us that God does not depend on us as we depend on him. Nor does he exist by our will and for our pleasure, nor may we think of his personal life as being just like ours. As creatures, we are limited. We cannot know everything. We cannot be present everywhere, nor do all we would like to do nor continue unchanged through the years. But the, creator, the cre creator is not limited in these ways. Therefore, we find him incomprehensible. By that I mean, not in making no sense, but in exceeding our grasp. We just can't comprehend the greatness of God. We, we know about it because he's told us about it. But if left without special revelation in his word, if he had not revealed to us what he is like, we would never have figured him out in our own thinking, in our own judgment, in our own mind. When Luther told Erasmus in their debate that Erasmus' thoughts of God were too human, he was really dealing with and uprooting a principle in all rationalistic religion that's ever affected the, infected the church and rightly exposed it. Today, we live in a day that has more, too much Erasmus and not enough Luther in it where the focus is on God as he is rather than on God as being like us. Our God is not like us. And he is the creator of all there is. Secondly, understanding God as the creator of heaven and earth will protect us from misunderstanding our world. The world exists in its present stable state by the will and the power of its creator. It doesn't exist in a stable state because we're able to kind of keep it in balance politically and economically and, and whatever else. We are at a loss with that. I mean, it's showing up more and more how we can't do it. But God continues to hold the world in its stable state. The world belongs to him. The world is not yours. The world is not mine. What we own in this world, whether it's land or possessions or anything else, does not belong to you. It belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. It's merely our stewardship that God has placed in our hands. So we're not to to highly exalt the, the creation as, as some of the, uh, using the popular term today, some of the tree huggers do, to where we worship the trees and worship the brooks and worship the lakes, but rather we see them as God's creation and we're also not to discount them. We're not to fail to protect them and watch over them and hold them in stewardship. But knowing that God is the creator and as being creator is the owner of everything there is will help us in, to keep from misunderstanding the world and not fall into pantheism to where we believe that the world is just an extension of God and, and God is in everything. No, God's not in everything, but God did create everything. And then thirdly and finally, this understanding of God as creator of heaven and earth will stop us or keep us from misunderstanding ourselves as man is not his own maker he must not think of himself as his own master it's not my life if I'm a Christian my life has been bought by the God who created all things uh, God made him made me for himself to serve him here 
God's claim upon us is the first fact of life that we must face, and we need a healthy sense of our creaturehood to keep us facing it. Now, are there honest people who disagree on young earth, old earth? Yes. I have friends who are old earth people, and, and I'm a fairly young earth person. But uh, I believe they know the Lord. But I think they lose track sometimes of the, of the magnitude and the majesty of God if they're not very careful. Uh, we must see God as the one who did all this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the who and that's the, the when. He doesn't go into a lot of detail with the how, but other than that he just spoke it into existence and it was there. But we do know the why. He created everything that he created for his own glory. That the heavens might declare the glory of God. That the creation might declare who he is and what he's done. And that we might see him in all his glory for all time. Well, there's a whole lot more we could say about that. But it's an important part of the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's the statement in the creed about God, about the Father. Next week, we'll start looking a little further into the next statement, and we'll talk about, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And we'll look at Christology, and we'll look at the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do bow before you this evening. Again, O oh Lord, acknowledging that you are the God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all that there is, down to the very minuscule molecule you have created it. Father, to the, to the smallest particle that we could even imagine and even can't imagine is your creation. You made it to fit together in harmony for your glory. And Lord, help us to see that. And help us honor you and glory in you in your creation. Father, we thank you that the creed guides us to just a deeper and a better understanding of who you are as we look at it in light of Scripture. Teach us, Father, and uphold your truth. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm